Well, hello there, FC. Oh, shit. Hold on. Yeah, FCO shit. FCO shit. That sounds pretty apt. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. You can shop all the latest arrivals over there. They got cleats, shin guards, gloves, jerseys, sweatshirts, hoodies. I mean, you name it, they got it. All the stuff, US, FC Dallas, domestic, international. Soccer90.com. Third Degree listeners use code Third Degree at checkout. Get 20% off. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there. FC Dallas Curious fan, welcome to the now annual, at least for the last 27 years, there's always next year episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and yes, the trio is together once again to dis... In fact, we're all awake and ready to do this (laughs) uh, because it is uh, the end of a season. Seattle Sounders won FC Dallas nil. Seattle wins the series two games to one. Dallas's season is over once again, as we've all come to, you know, pretty much expect uh, here in our little fiefdom of fun or whatever we want to call it. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just trying to mentally prepare for the next hour of discussing an end of another season, and I'm not doing a very good job with it. First, he is awake and alive and ready to go with a brand new microphone, no less. It's Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. I am awake. Hello. Listen to how clear you sound, sir. I love it. Wonderful, wonderful. Are you, uh, you kind of over the anxiety from the weekend, from the uh, morning's game, that is? Oh, that's right. Since we last talked, your club has played my club, although you're a, you're a native and I'm a uh, adopted, so um, you probably deserve something out of that game, if I'm being honest with you, sir. Jesus, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Uh, you'll probably best us uh, at home when you get us later okay, in the I hope season. So. Yeah, uh, and of course your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, and uh, recent birthday boy. Mm. Uh, it is uh, the original editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. So, Peter, you're telling me that game three of the playoffs has happened. I must have missed missed that game. I don't I don't remember that at all. Oh, uh, you've just blanked it out of your <laughs> no, mind. Or, so what happened? Or, <laughs> yeah, there's a black spot from this weekend. I just, uh, must have been one of the yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I I wanna I wanna uh, pause before we get into the game itself because I want to talk about breaking news that happened today that I think is of high significance, which is the club announced today the departure of Marco Ferruzzi, and and in my head this is significant because it definitely means that Marco's not the uh, soon-to-be-announced interim manager again for the 11th time. <laughs> that's a dude that's been around this club for a really long time, Buzz, and he's leaving to go take another gig, and I think that's something that makes uh, good sense to start the pot off with. Yeah. Uh, he was hired in 2004 by Colin Clark to be his assistant, and then he basically was an assistant for everybody that came after him through 
uh, up till Lucci. Um, and he was interim manager twice. And the second time was. Was it only twice? I thought it yeah. was more than that. Three times, wasn't it? Well, I can't find any record of games from the, the, the article that the, the team oh. put out said 2013. But if you look at 2013, that's all Shellis. I think Shellis left after the season. So unless they named Marco yeah. interim for like a month or two while they were still training or something. I don't, I don't oh, really remember. Yeah, they probably had the... Um, when the CBA used to dictate that you had to train to a certain date after the playoffs. Ah, uh, yes, that would make sense. But he only coached twice as an interim coach. Um, one when Steve Morrow was fired and the other was when Lucci was fired. But um, when he was... When Lucci was uh, coach, he became... Um, director of soccer operations. Uh, and, and then when he took over for Lucius interim coach, after that, they made him director of methodology, which is all kind of, you know, those are various versions of front office mumbo jumbo, where you're in charge of evaluating coaches and making sure that, you know, the, the system all up and down the club is played the same way and you can give whatever titles you want to, um, but Marco was a great asset for this club for a long, long time. He was in charge of college scouting since about 2011, I think. Um, you know, so a lot of the picks that have really panned out, you have to give him a whole lot of credit for. You know, your, your Ryan Hollingsheads, your Nikosi Tafares, for example, of recent time. Um, but you know, he's from San Antonio, and and I think after he went all in, excuse me, went all in on the coaching job. After that, it probably was a you know didn't get it for the second time. He probably, the writing was probably on the wall. He would eventually leave his son, Diego uh, left the Academy this last May. And then, then, you know, he obviously Marco was staying around or not. Obviously I assume he was probably staying around with some for that, but um, he's been a great piece of the program here for a long, long time. And if this club has been successful, he certainly in, in, in a lot of ways, they haven't won as many titles as we like, but a lot of overall relative success, you know, he's been a big part of that. And Santino is getting a good hire. It will be interesting to see what kind of uh, success he has down in San Antonio. That's a good organization, and, and since that's his hometown, uh, yeah. that'll be fun to to pay attention to. Uh, all right. Well, I thought that was uh, uh, unless Dan or you have anything else you want to include mm. about that. I just thought that was a, no, a big. I think uh, like like Buzz said, the the writing was kind of on the wall uh, when he was interim coach. One of his last, I think, his last press conference after the win over Austin, he said, "Look, this is this is the job I want." There's, there's no going. There's not really any going back to to a front office role after that, and uh, you know, good, good for him. He was, I mean, he's a huge part of the club for a very long time. Great, great guy, and uh, you know, hopefully this is uh, this just job with San Antonio is one he's excited for, and it's not. You know, it may not be on the bench, but uh, like you said, part of a, a really good organization and and going home. Thank you, Marco, for your service to our fine club. Uh, all right, here, let's get into it. The season, another season has come to an end without an MLS Cup. As Seattle beat Dallas uh, 1-0 up at their uh, giant NFL stadium. And it pretty much played out exactly as we all thought it would, especially considering the news when we found out that Jesus wasn't going to play due to injury. And obviously Velasco was done for the season. Uh, it, it just it, it just never ever felt over the course of 90 minutes that Dallas had any chance they were gonna get something out of this, did it, Buzz? No, uh, you know, 
I had known that Jesus was going to, you know, and I had reported that Jesus was a game time decision. I, you know, the people that I had talked to were not super optimistic he was going to get cleared, and that turned out to be the case. Um, the, the tactical change the club made, uh, Nico made, was to put Obreon in uh, straight up, put him in for host Jesus Ferreira. That left Camingo on the right and Paul on the left, which had been working fairly well. The one sort of tactical shift they made was they, they rotated the midfield just a little bit, and that meant that there, there was a little more of a clear double pivot, and Paxton was definitely playing anywhere, depending on the, the moment. Certainly in the, when they were in the, in the offensive third, he was playing about 10, 5, 10 yards higher, so he could press, mostly so he could press next to Urbreon and try and turn Seattle over and take advantage of them. Uh, the problem is, is that by doing that, by putting Paxton up there in more of this more Chen-like role, even if you're more of a pressing situation, is that you left Yaramendi and Frazier basically outman three to two behind you most of the game. Um, not that Paxton's not willing to put in a shift and get back, but it's still not the same thing. And, and when you're talking about Frazier being a less possession-oriented player passer than than the person he effectively is replacing, Alan Velasco, well, that's not 100% accurate, but that's basically what happened. You know, it, they just ended up having to try to bypass the midfield and none of it really worked. And it's odd that, like, when you have two guys up there with a lot of vertical component in Camungo and Obreon, Seattle ran a really high line and they were just not able to get behind them at all. Um, it just was everything Dallas Tribe was ineffective and, and, and demonstrated by the fact they had one shot on the, the day. And that shot came from Nikosi Tafari when he went up and played forward in the last 10 minutes of the game or whatever it was. <laughs> So they just got dominated across the field pretty much, um, and it, just, it was not a good day for FC Dallas. And, and now they are um, you know, still one win there in their entire history, and that's the fifth time in a decade that Seattle's eliminated them from the playoffs. It was uh, – I mean, I, as I said, it was – we all anticipated and expected it to come out this way, but it was nonetheless very disappointing, especially uh, because the team just – again, maybe it's playing in Seattle, maybe it's the surface, maybe it's the – you know, knowing going into the game that you're missing these two critical components. But to put the game together where you essentially go the entire game without even putting a shot, not just a shot on goal, but a shot at all, uh, it just – feels like a really weak way to end a season. Yeah, uh, you knew it was going to be tough sledding, but compared to the, the game one, when you had a couple opportunities early, that you, especially Jesus Ferreira, that if you felt like you could have gotten him, the series would, would have been completely different. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and you really don't limp that going forward. You're going to be like, man, if we had just gotten one or two of those, we, we might have taken that game, and then we would have won it at home. You know, you're really going to be upset about that. And maybe that everyone recognizes that Jesus is such a talisman that, like, once he was out, everything was flat. Because I really felt like watching the game and I picked Nikosi Tafari as my man of the match because I really felt like he was the only one that showed like a warrior mentality. Like even when they put out like the pregame, you know, social media stuff, you could see him walking around that he was sort of up for it. And even by his play, I thought, man, this guy is here today and he's dialed in and he was aggressive and strong and powerful and intimidating. And, and the fact that he had the one shot was amazing. Um, and really it was a, a testament both to how good he was and the fact how flat everybody else was. I mean, there were guys that, you know, put up some decent stat numbers. Paul Ariola had a couple of good stats. Ira Mendy had a couple of good stats. But in the context of what was actually happening, it was just complete domination by Seattle across the board. And I was really struck by, in this series, how bigger and physical uh, Seattle is compared to Dallas across the board. When we joke about FC Short, 
But over those three games, it was such a massive disparity that it really took a toll, I think, on Dallas. And it really takes a toll on the turf. And Seattle's aggressive anyway. Like particularly at home, they really fly around. Whenever they lose the ball, they try and counter press really quickly and they get st- stuck in hard, as you would say. Um, and when they're at home, the crowd's on the referee, the crowd's on in their support. They don't get called for that very much. And they just stifled this game and shut it down and just bullied FC Dallas all over the field. Dan, you got any uh, general overview, thoughts, reactions, feedback about the game you want to share? Uh. It was, yeah, it went out of a whimper. Um, it's frustrating when you look back at the uh, the first game. can certainly understand why Paxton was in that more advanced role, given the, the pressing that created Dallas's two best opportunities in that, in that first game. Uh, but you didn't have uh, Jesus Ferreira there to uh, get on the end of him. Um, a bit of a... Bit of, bit of a disappointing one, um, especially watching uh, certain Mr. Jimenez uh, pull out of a 50-50, oh. a goal behind in stoppage time. That's a that's an Edwin Giassi level mm. uh, faux yeah. pas as a fan. I I, I mean, hey, at least Edwin Giassi uh, just sat down and got off the field so someone else could get on it, you know? Yeah, fair point. My uh my real frustration with this game buzz and it this has been a a bit of a frustration for a long long parts of the season and we've talked about the need for a better center back and mm. as good as Tafari was in aspects of the game one of my concerns about Nikosi long term in terms of national team call-ups and his long team his long-term potential is his inconsistency in his ability to pass the ball more than 10 yards Mm. and he and Sebastian were really really uh poor at getting the ball out of the back it it, it's weird to me because Sebastian Ibiaga can neither pass the ball out of the back long Mm. uh uh, and a long distance and he can't carry the ball out of the back Tafari is pretty spotty about long passes out of the back. He can do it every once in a while. But what he's what he's very clearly good at that I don't think we see enough that I really hope we get to see more of is him carrying the ball out of the back. Have, I, I, that's a that's a skill set. I have not. I've only seen him do it a few times. He did it two or three times in this particular game, and I think the kid's got something there. Yeah, he definitely added that to his bag in the back half of the season. Um, you're right. He is consistent with the line out of the out of the back. But when he hits it r- right on the money, it really is decisive. You can think of the games at home where he's really broken teams open with that kind of play. I wonder if the turf difference in the way the ball releases could be a little bit of a problem there. I did notice when I was looking at the stats that um, Ibiaga had for some reason significantly more touches than Tafari did, and they pl- and almost like they played out through Ibiaga for some reason, which is really weird because. Ordinarily, you don't do that. So, I, I, without having gone to analyze tape, I do wonder if Morris was basically tracking it uh, to Farai and making it very difficult for them to build out through him, which is a pretty smart thing to do because, as we clearly demonstrated, Ibiaga uh, with the with the goal is not a particularly great passer out of the back, and that that giveaway is one of the worst, uh, you know, playing out of the back goes the wrong moments. You can imagine, particularly because he was way out of position when he did it, and then also stood there, you know, incredulous that no one was helping him play out, you know, <laughs> and then let them just run like a track meet right up through the gut 
to Rusnak, who ran past Yaramendi, uh, uh, who immediately is not super fast, you know, and just and again right through right through uh, Paz's wickets, and I couldn't help but think, God, if Martin would have gotten just another little half of an inch on that ball, you know, we might might not have gone in, but. Um, you know, such a meltdown moment. And really that's one of the overall problem that Dallas was having on the day is like, they were not able to go from to their defense and then play up with the bat, outside backs and then through the midfield that was gone. Seattle took that away running this mid block and the play up over to the top straight to the fours wasn't working, you know? So I, it was just a complete disarm of, of everything Dallas was trying the whole day. Seattle really defensively was masterful. Yeah, it just felt like 90 minutes of uh, of recycling the ball back to Seattle yeah. just to give them another opportunity. Really now, was. Seattle didn't make a lot out of all the opp- – I mean, for a team that literally had all the opportunity in the game, they didn't make as much – uh, danger and opportunity out of it than I than you would probably expect out of a game like that. But it, I mean, they obviously dominated the game, but to only have four shots on goal the entire game, considering how much uh, how much of the ball they had in Dallas's end of the field, wasn't that great. I don't know how that pretends uh, for Seattle the rest of the the rest of the playoffs. But the, the, I want to get back to the Tafari thing, which is. The guy has got more skill on the ball and in carrying the ball forward than I was aware of, and I've seen it in little bits and starts. And I and I don't know if Nico is the kind of coach that would accept having a center back that carries the ball out and progresses it himself. I know that's not a typical tactical style, but there are um, people that have made careers out of that and done very well with it. And I just wonder if there's more to that, if he's allowed to do it, could could really be a weapon for this team moving forward. Yeah, anytime you can line break, it's a positive, whether you do it with a progressive dribble or a progressive pass. I haven't specifically asked Coach Nico about that component. Um, I will say that, generally speaking, he's not a big proponent of people leaving their defensive position. Yeah, you know, that's he's what I was big, worried about. Yeah, <laughs> he's a big structure guy, you know, a big shape guy. Um, you know, but at least in, the, in terms of the middle, I mean, Junko was three for four on take ons. Um, you know, so, you know, they, they, they're okay. And, and Tuomasa usually has a three or four take ons too. So they're okay with guys on the outside attempting that kind of stuff. Um, you know, straight up carries is a different question. You know, uh, in this, this game, interestingly, they don't have, um, uh, Tafari written down as having like and more than just one progressive carry. Really? But, yeah. Progressive. He had he had thirty three carries, but so did Ibiaga. You know, it's it's the idea of dribbling past somebody as usual unusual. Now it's very. Am I wrong? Did he not, not do that two or three times? Oh no, I thought he did too. But like they might that maybe the defender's not close enough for them to score it that way. Because I was after you said it, I looked. I was looking it up to think. Oh, you're right. He really did do that. I wonder how many he had, and it's just one. Yeah. Officially hmm. from FB ref, that doesn't mean that you're not right. He also had multiple occasions where, and then, again, this is part. I think in this game. Because they were not able to get the ball to Frazier and E.R. Mendy, maybe because they were outman three to two, as I mentioned, he was probably dribbling up through that line more mm-hmm. than you might ordinarily, where he would ordinarily try and pass it. And that's probably why Ibiaga ends up trying to make that pass. He's trying to find guys that they're unable to find. So I imagine that those things are responses to the game situation. I agree with you. I did like it when Ibiaga did that. I would like him to do it more because there's been... You mean Tafari. I'm sorry. Yes, Tafari. I would like him to do it more because you remember he did that against LA Galaxy. There were like three plays that he cut off um, with intercepts where he then took the ball and dribbled up. And one of them was that great through ball to Bernie where he dribbled up closer to midfield. So a lot of that is just 
confidence from him, you know, when he feels like he's it's good gone. on the ball. I yeah, mean, we, so. he's he is now repeatedly beaten uh, defenders or midfielders and move the ball forward with the ball at his feet. And that, you know, you just don't see a lot of that in this league. And yeah, well, he's he's a, he's approaching, but is not yet to the peak of his career. He still has a couple of seasons, I think, to where he can progress and coach and other people have talked about how there is still room there. And hopefully that'll be the, one of the next phases of his game is, you know, improving the passing out of the back to, in terms of consistency and also just being a dribble out. That'd be nice. Well, when we're spending five minutes talking about a center back carrying <laughs> the ball forward and uh, progressing the ball and taking the only shot of the game for the team, that pretty much encapsulates just what a crappy game overall it was for everybody else. Uh, and I don't know how much time or detail we want to get into it, Dan or Buzz, but uh, it just... You know, we've seen this every season in some way, shape, or form. It just feels like another an, another mat way to end a, a, an FC Dallas season, unfortunately. Yeah. I, the thing that annoys me the most about this game is that the line of subs, the, okay, we're going to have to go for it. Oh. Who we got? And it's J.J. Uh, Jesus Jimenez and it's Dante Sealy. Now, listen. Oh, Dante. and and the answer, Ansa, who, by the way, between the three of them, have a combined one goal on the season. Do you know who the one out of the three scored the goal? Uh, I'm gonna guess it's Dante. Dan, right? you take a guess. Uh, it was Ansa. It was Ansa. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, the yeah. goal and assist, I think, in back-to-back games, and then kind of just fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. Well, you know, in the in terms of like when they came in, the first group was uh, JJ and and Hemen Sorry, let me start that over. Ansa was earlier for Camugo, but that wasn't a get a goal sub. That was because Bernie got his ankle rolled up by Joe Paolo on a tackle and then struggled for like the next thirty minutes before they subbed him out. But the one, the two that came together at seventy minute marks, which is you know this coach 65, 70 minutes. You know, the roll of the dice, let's go see if we can get this, was Dante Celia and Jimenez. I'm actually okay with Ansa. It's the Jimenez, the fact that it was Jimenez was all you had left. Or Dante Celia, who, despite the fact we think there's some potential there, is nowhere near being actually able to impact a game. You know, those two guys were who you had is just awful. Well, I, I yes, and I'm glad you've kind of headed off in this direction because I think this is where it, this is where the meat of this particular episode is going to get into. Because Dan, my question to you is: Do you feel like me that the real bummer about this game isn't necessarily the performance itself? It's that there's just no sense in what this thing is today. Feels like there's a ton of potential in 2024 unless they make significant changes. Yeah, um, I think just watching towards the end of the game, bringing on Jimenez, bringing on Anza, you're bringing, you know, uh, you you turn into to Siki at the last second, and they've got Rui Diaz, Ladero. Um, it's, you know, FC Dallas is a very thin roster. Uh, we know Nico likes to have a, a thinner roster anyway, but last year things worked out injury wise this year they they didn't um there's there's got to be quite a bit of change in in the bottom end of the roster and the bottom end of the roster is kind of where they've cut the spending on to you know allow for the Alan Velasco's and allow for Jesus and Paxton's current salaries and 
you know what what do you kind of take away to allow you to have a more well-rounded roster in the long run i think my big away takeaway from this season before we move on is that how brutal home field advantage it is and how important it is you know it's 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 75 percent in mls as we've as has been documented by people during the regular season when you get to the playoffs it's even worse and so if you want to give yourself an actual chance to advance in the playoffs, you really need to get some home field advantage. And this season, as Dan just mentioned, the decimation of the injuries cost you significantly. They didn't happen last year. They did this year. And that's the difference really in the end between these two seasons. Because the club is basically the same, right? We talked about coming into the season. They didn't really advance the team very much, you know, only a little bit. So, you know, you, you, you do have to, at some point, if you're not going to spend huge and be one of the biggest teams in the league, you got to give yourself an advantage of, of home field, at least in some of these early games, if you're going to give yourself a chance at all. And that's what it comes down to. To that point, Seattle, that is the biggest home field advantage there is in the league. Um, there's, there's nothing that comes close to a 40,000-seat stadium and, and that particular turf because... You know, it's it's that little bit different from like what Atlanta has. Um, you know, and, and we talk about things like the ball holding up differently on turf compared to grass, and then you know, you you watch the kind of cuts away at halftime before the game, and they're you know the the field guys are, are watering one end and not the other, so the ball zips when FC Dallas kicks it upfield, and it just holds up nicely when Seattle does. Um, I remember the year that they. They trained on the field and it was basically bereft of those uh, rubber crumbs. And then when they came to actually play on game day, the field was black with, with rubber crumbs just to completely change the behavior of, of the surface. It's just, you know, um, getting paired up with Seattle pretty much every time is, is such a is such an issue when you do have to go up there. So, yeah, if you play them twice at home, potentially a different story. Well, it, certainly uh, Dallas looked completely different in Dallas or in Frisco than they did in either yeah. of the two Seattle games. And I th again, I think that just comes down to the surface and the atmosphere and just kind of a mental attitude about all of it. Yeah, everything that affects the regular season home versus away gets ramped up even more under the pressure of playoffs. Yeah, and the other thing to think about and the differences between ro the roster construction differences between Dallas and Seattle is just consider that Seattle's two big stars, their version of Jesus and Velasco in many ways, it feels weird to say it, are guys that are sitting on the bench in Ladero and Rui Diaz. Those guys aren't starting anymore. And so they're, those, they're, they're I think at least on paper, their backups are now have been starting for this team for a while and performing and turning out results. And so when they need to go to the bench, they can throw those two, you know, big names on and and really help them move a game along. And that's the I think that to me, you know, when that's the difference there. And and I think the biggest, most alarming thing out of this season is that when Jesus Ferreira went down, you couldn't even call on your literal number nine to take his place to start the game. Yeah. Well, it's it's clear that that was a failed move. By the way, uh, credit to Brian Schmetzer, who has both the authority and the skins on the wall in the playoffs. He's now like the third, second or third most winning coach in the history of MLS playoffs. Yeah, you know, to pull that off and have the the backing to be able to bench guys that are like these superstar players when they know that it's better. I mean, obviously, Jesus is really young, so that's not a thing. But if if Jesus was thirty two, you might be having that conversation. You know, um, 
they the Seattle roster, the fact that they have superstars and giant salaries that are on the bench because their team is so good and so deep that they can do that. You know, I, I had somebody this week tell me that there was a quote from the owner. I think it was the owner. Maybe it was the technical director of Seattle. Sorry, I don't know exactly who it was. They The quote was something like, um, our academy is set up to find players to help us win, not sign up, pick up players to help us sell and make money. <laughs> and he was talking about it, Dallas, obviously. And I thought it was a really interesting comment because it's very true. You know, Dallas is not a, well, we think, as everyone we talked to, that Dallas was not a particularly profitable franchise prior to their ability to sell players for money from their academy. Seattle has that luxury. Seattle packs that place out. They're one of the highest revenue teams as far as my understanding of how things work in this league. Yeah, and the that's whole how they league. make money. Yeah, yeah they, they make a lot of money, Seattle does. They can afford to hire these big-time players. The only thing they do with their academy is those that once every three or four or maybe a te- decade player comes through that's a superstar, then they sign them and they bring them in. And the rest of them, they don't give a crap. Dallas can't afford that. Dallas is a completely different situation, a completely different club, and a completely different money situation. And so if you look at the rosters, you can look at Dallas's roster has got, you know, all over the bottom end of the roster, usually, maybe not quite as much this year, has these homegrowns everywhere filling up big chunks of the roster. And so allowed Dallas to be competitive in this league without spending money like some of the big spending clubs do. Seattle doesn't have that problem. So their yeah. roster is filled up with dudes who can all play and all compete at that higher level because they can afford it. You know, and they're willing to spend and Dallas is not. You know, and even in a cap league, there's difference in budgets and there's difference in the, how you pay players and the kind of players you go get. You know, and the, the, the rosters in the end, I think, are the, are the difference between these two teams. I know we're going to play dump or keep here in just a second, but the, the one theory that I have, Buzz, and I'm interested in both your opinions if you feel I'm right, I feel like the genesis to the failure of the 2024 season is the reality that the bet that they made in 2023 that we applauded them for, which was going out and getting Ariola and Legette, was successful last season. And we thought it was a great thing, but it also came with this great risk, which is you have so much invested in those two guys that are pushing towards the end of their careers that if either one or both of them fall flat or get injured, you really put yourself in a corner. And unfortunately for the Hunts, both of those guys flattened out. And I do believe that's the beginning of how, uh, that's the beginning of the end for 2024. You mean, you mean 2023, 2024 is next year. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I got you. Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I knew you meant. Just take everything I said and, re- <laughs> and, and, and reduce it by one year. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I meant. Sorry. I got you. Yes. I was, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was halfway through that. I was like, wait, what? No, no, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a sense, no, not in a sense, very clearly. Look, that Paul and Legette, Paul Ariel and Special Legette are combined $2 million, right? That's a, that's a massive chunk of your budget if you're talking about the hunts. They're both, you know, Tam Gam type players that can be a DP or not be a DP. And you have to buy one of them comes down by natural natural way. The other one has to be bought down. They both require a significant amount of cap. uh, And you cannot afford to have that kind of cap sitting there doing nothing. You know, they have a combined three assists. I think it is, you know, (laughs) you know, compare that to Obreon, who's on 300K by himself, who had like six and four or something. You know, clearly when you have these giant chunks of money that are doing nothing, you know, they have to be able to produce. And Dallas didn't have the luxury of having dudes that could come in and replace them and be great and hold the job down. You know, when they lost Legette for big chunks of time, it basically was, 
you know, they had to move Allen in the middle to solve it. When they lost Paul for big chunks of time, they were playing like a Bernie or a Dante Seeley kind of players or an Ansa who's not coming through yet or an O'Brien who makes these knuckleheaded decisions. When Seattle has a Rui Diaz or a Ladero get hurt and miss time, their guys come in and it's Jordan Morris or it's Roll Dan or it's Atencia. You know, they have these guys that are playing a significantly higher level when they come off the bench. So good that those big money players, when they come back, don't get those spots back. Instead, they become valuable pieces off the bench. You know, again, those are very fundamental differences between the two rosters that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Well, it just feels like the the bet of 22 uh, was what killed 23 because it starts with those two guys. If those two guys are performing, uh, a lot of the other things that went down this season probably wouldn't have had the impact it did. It was just kind of the accumulation of all these things. And I and I do and what get what I get frustrated by in the in kind of the recap and debriefing of the season, especially at the national level, is all of this discussion about all of the injuries that Dallas dealt with this year. And to me, it just feels like that's letting the front office off the hook a little bit because there was things they could have done or or prepared for that would have lessened the injury situation if they had made different choices or done yeah. some things differently. Well, the biggest thing I think is the, the Nico's desire to play a shorter roster, which backfired on him. But, you know, you can look at uh, they lost uh, right back. They lost two months for a bit. Then they lost um, Giovanni for the year. Paxson was hurt a chunk in the middle of the f- season. Legette missed most of the season. Right. Um, Martinez was supposed to share a lot of time at center back and he did that for a lot of the season. Then he got hurt and it all fell apart in terms of him being able to give guys time off. Um, You know, Bernie, right when when Bernie was coming through and doing really great things, got hurt. Jesus goes to the goal cap and has gone for a long time. He comes back and he's playing the whole back end of the season with what we think is a hernia, sports hernia problem. You know, I I definitely think that a massive contribution to the failure of this season is the overall load of injuries relative to the thinness of the bench. I think that's true. However, you're right. The thinness of the roster uh, that we've just been talking about for 10 minutes and particularly the fall off of Areola and Legette are the biggest contributions to the problems and, and why, why the team ended up in eighth place instead of in fourth place like last year. Yeah, but I could also make the case that if you had done a better job of finding a backup for Jesus, when Jesus has his injury, you're not left with... Oh, crap, it's Jimenez. You've got somebody that maybe actually can do something and bang in goals for them. Uh, When Velasco gets hurt, you didn't go out and sign a guy from the Israeli league. You went out and got somebody that can actually do something. Uh, You know, you didn't sell Brandon Cervania because he could be your backup in the midfield. Although they, uh, to give them credit, the good thing they did, you know, there are good things they did. They signed uh, Ilara, who turned out to be fantastic. I thought the Junkwa acquisition was wonderful. He was a great player all season long. You know, hey, um, Giovanni Jesus, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I really still, you know, I feel like Emma and well, we can get into this in the dumper keep, but uh, yeah. I, that's probably more appropriate for that. My point is, is that when you say they had all of these injuries, you're correct. I just feel like if they had just made better choices uh, in their roster construction, a lot of those things may have been mitigated uh, with better with, with better roster selection. Well, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a little bit what we're talking about is the fact that Seattle's roster can handle this kind of thing, and Dallas yeah. can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to now I will push back a tiny bit on the Cervania thing. At the time they traded him, he wasn't playing at all; like he couldn't even get on the field. 
because they had all these players in the midfield. They had too many people in the central of the mids. So they like that's one reason why they were willing to trade him. And they knew at the time, they knew at the time they needed a striker. And so they were fishing around trying to find anybody that could give them a nine that might be worth anything. And when you combine that with the fact that Toronto ate his cap this year, you know, that basically was a free player and you rolled the dice and it didn't work. Now, granted, yes, let's be critical. In hindsight, that was an awful choice to do that deal. It paid, it was horrible. But, you know, I understood why it happened. But they just missed, you know, yeah. they miss at nine a lot around here. <laughs> it's not a new thing. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, is it time to play dump or keep? Yeah, I think so. You damn in the mix, you know. Dan, you ready let's to play dump or keep? Or do you have a, anything you want to add to that conversation? No, no, let's, let's dump some fools. Okay. We'll go by position, Buzz. How about okay. that? Okay. Yeah, whatever order you want. Uh, we'll go by position and we'll kind of jam through this. I don't want to, you know, get too stuck. on. We'll, we'll go yeah. through goalkeepers. Uh, Carrera, obviously keep, right? We all agree that, that he may end yeah. up being the backup player next year because the one that you do wonder about is Mr. Maurer and his situation buzz. Yeah. I'm going to, the, the, the question here is, 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 uh, Antonio Carrera ready to be number two? I'm going to say, in my in my opinion, I think he is. I think he's ready. So I'm going to say that if I'm running the team, I offer Jimmy a job coaching in the academy, and I move Antonio up to number two. And then I go look around for a third-string guy that's a little more of a veteran, maybe pluck somebody from wherever, like you did Jimmy a couple of years ago. And, you know, that you can use an emergency if you have to, you know. But I'm, I'm going to say let Jimmy uh, retire and go into coaching. Dan? Um, I'm going to kind of actually – steal a line from you from when we spoke last Wednesday mm. and you said the only thing that kind of prevents that is the idea of would it benefit uh, Antonio Carrera to go out and loan and get regular fast team football rather than just sit on a bench yeah that is a thought uh, you know if you can find him a place to start in the championship Dan I would I would agree that that might be better so yeah it's fair take which, you know, there's only only so many starting goalkeeper roles in that division. It it, it could be difficult to find him now, but, uh, but yeah, I uh, kind of was thinking back to like when uh, you know when when Richard Sanchez was called up to the bench, and then when Jesse Gonzalez was called up for his first start, they did the short term loan to the championship, get the the early stuff out of him. So even if it was like a short term thing. You know, it'd be good to see. Um, you know, it'd be obviously, you know, he was talking about coming back from the uh, from the World Cup and kind of having that experience of playing against higher higher quality players, maybe than he than he does with North Texas, or um, you know, than he than he would have got in the academy. So, I don't know. Um, it, it's a tough one. Jimmy's obviously been a great servant to the team. Um, a lot of the players have identified that he he would make a great coach. Um, whether or not that's in in his future is is kind of on him. But um, yeah, certainly the the performances we we did see this season weren't amazing. Um, he may be a player that if he's if you know if he's not getting that regular start, he's you're not getting that kind of start of quality from him. So that takes us to the big uh, a question that I've had for a while, Buzz, which pretends to Martin Paz. And what is what is Martin? What are actually what are all three goalkeepers' contract situation? Oh, let me see if I can whip that up real quick. 
Um, well, Antonio's got um, another. Uh, let's see. He's well. Where did he go? He was just in front of me a second ago. Um, he's through twenty twenty four, and he has options for twenty five and twenty six. Uh, I'm pretty sure that um, Jimmy Maurer is on an option for twenty four. Yes, and um, pause is through 25 with 26 and 27 options. So two more years. So Jimmy's an option. You can just decline him. Just I, I the one thing that I want to, uh, and I don't mean to create concern or, or worry, but is there any reason to think that after the season Martin had here in Dallas and with his girlfriend living back overseas again, is there any chance you think that he asks for a sale or a move back to Europe? while he's under contract because maybe his value is pretty high and they could make some nice coin off of him. Uh, I mean, that would be, it, it was like how much money is he going to get paid, you know, or uh, how much would the hunts want for him and how much would an offer be? I mean, that, that's what it would come down to. Okay. You know, I, 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 th I think he's probably not I mean, really, this is just one season. So like, I, I don't think that after one season, you're like, I'm out of here. I, I think it seems unlikely. I think he was pretty all in on Texas culture, you know? So I, I don't think it'd be this winter. But okay. Could be. I mean, if someone comes in with, well, I don't know, four, five, six mil, dude, he's gone. You know, so it's just a question of how somebody values him. All right. We move on to the defenders. Corsa is a shows on Buzz's chart here on two option years. Um, anybody think they're keeping him, Dan? No. Yeah, he's a pass for me, too. I don't even think I can remember seeing him play in a game. I know I did, but I just don't recall anything about At this that. point, he's a body. He played right back and a little center back, but it's like, you know, you just, he's not a spring chicken. So it's, he's like, you know, 23 ish. And it's like, I don't, I didn't see a lot of improvement. So I, it, you can always dump him. And then if you could desperately call him back up and see what he's doing. Giovane Jesus is, uh, let's see, he's on injury, obviously, and is probably out for a while, but he's under contract until 2026, Buzz. He's a keep for me um, because I thought, like, as he started in the middle of the season, he had finally locked down the right-back job. And the, the amount, when you go with a young 22 initiative, the idea is that you're investing in him to try and build him up so you can sell him. It's a, it's a player for that's using this as a stepping stone, he should have a lot of upside, you know? So I, I think there's definitely a keep there for me. Dan. Yeah. hundred percent keep. Yeah. I always feel like I always felt all season that if you could take the good, the things that, uh, Giovane is good at and the things that Emma are good at and mush it into one player, you'd have <laughs> one really hellacious right back at an MLS level. Um, so, okay. Uh, Isaiah Parker, Buzz, I got to tell you, man, this has been a great disappointment. You really yeah. lauded this dude when he when they got drafted two seasons ago, and I've yet yep. to see him play a single game. Yeah, he he is one of the most skilled players, freshman I've seen coming out of college. Remember, he's a GA player. He's an absolute baller in terms of like pure soccer ability. But remember, he was a wing. He was a Dante Sealy, if you will, and they're trying to make him into a left back. So the reason you've not seen him is because this is a defensive first coach. It's all about defensive responsibility and defensive shape and defensive cohesion. And that kid has none of that stuff. You know, he was a three-year project and he's just not played. So I'm going to say at this point, you might as well try and trade him because there's a mismatch here between him. So that's a dump. It's a version of dump is to trade him, get rid of him because there's a mismatch here between him and the kind of coach you have here. Have players that fit your system like Sam Junka is. So... Uh, that's a dump via trade for me. 
Okay. Colin Smith. You can give Dan a take on that. Oh, sorry, Dan. How did, no, you're good. Um no, I'm I'm we're buzz on that one. Um did they actually did they ever abandon the whole converting him to a fullback thing or did they go no. back to it? No, as far as I know, he played left back the whole time he was in San Antonio. I uh, played as a loose term. He played at the beginning of the year and then he got hurt. And then while he was out, they switched to a back three. And then when he came back, he never got back into the lineup. So we only played sparingly after that. I'm thinking North Texas last year when they kind of pushed him and Colin Smith further up just to get more bodies in the team, I think. So they had too many fullbacks. Well, that's Pamaduka, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, true. All right. So you mentioned him, Colin Smith, Buzz. Uh, keep for me. He had a really good season at um, Birmingham um, Legion. And because Giovanni Jesus is out till July, August, you're going to need a body. So keep, he can be your backup to uh, Imato Amasi for most of the season and then figure that out when Giovanni comes back. Yeah, I think you, uh, he's also. Uh got two option years this is the final year of his uh of his original term so uh you know you're kind of looking at extending him too yeah he is a homegrown so he'll be relatively cheap still it won't be you know really a lot of money and it'll be protected and off the cap and all that stuff so easy to keep him on the roster and uh you know just if you are you know even if you don't he doesn't necessarily project to like the the first team in the long run just you know giving him that little extra contract you're going to get more for him from from someone than you would just on on option years. All right, uh, he is on two option years. Jose Martinez, I buzz. Please tell me they're going to stick him on a slow boat back to Spain, and we never see him again. Well, you want Dango first on this one? Okay. Adios. Yeah, adios, muchachos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no way that they're picking him up. I mean, I can't even. Like he's already in his 30s. He has this physical problem that he can't go 90 minutes. It's a combination of his back or hip or whatever it is. And the heat that he doesn't do really well in the heat, strangely, here in Texas. You know, it's the money is really high for a guy that basically was supposed to be this three-man rotation and by the last three months of the season was hardly getting any reps and by the end was not playing at all. I think he played six minutes over the last six games or something like that. So, yeah, he's out. All right, Sam Junka uh, is on two option years, Buzz. I'm man, they got to pick that kid up and sign him to a deal. Yeah, keep unless the option is insane, and I would even, as you say, offer him like a contract, like a longer term, like two, three, three and plus two maybe, and and not go out year to year on him, uh, and you know, give him a little bit of a reward for having a good season, you, not starter money, but I would definitely hundred percent keep. He's the only guy on the team that can play both right and left back. Uh, well, Ema can uh, a little bit. Yeah, he just played some left. Uh, can he? I mean, sure. He's, he's the closest thing you've got to that kind of gluing uh, Ryan Hollingshead type player that can kind of bail you out in a, a bit of an injury crisis. I just feel like uh, Emma may be a better right back than Sam is a left back, but if you needed somebody to play both of them, Sam's <laughs> skill sets probably oh, yeah. are more equitable across those two positions than yeah. Emma's is. Yeah, that I mean, Sam sense. likes right back better, but Emma played a lot of left wing in college. So, okay. and, he can, yeah. and he can play forward, or oh, not forward, forward, but, you know, he can play further up the field. Yeah. He can tuck inside as a center back. I mean, guys just, you know, coach's dream. Junker, you mean, yeah. Yeah. All right, and uh, speaking of Tuomase, 
Uh, he has one deal, one year left on his deal, and then three, uh, two, uh, two years after that is options. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, stick with him. I mean, he's had a had a decent enough season. Um, you know, if it, the was it the Seattle away the the first uh, leg of the uh, the playoffs. I think he was one of the only decent performers on the team by the end of the game. Yeah, keep for me too, especially with uh, Giovanni Hurt. You know, he and Colin Smith for me are going to be the right backs going into the season. And then again, you solve that problem that that log jam when you get to that part of the year where Giovanni Jesus can actually come back and contribute. Because remember, just getting in training is not the same as actually being game ready. That takes a long time to come off a knee. So definitely keep him. Maybe him and Giovanni can have a baby, and we can <laughs> have that kid in the academy here real yeah. soon. Uh, oh my gosh, baby face Nolan Norris is next on the list. I mean, come on, that's a keep. You yeah. Know, the weird yeah. thing about Nolan Norris is that this is a player who is so good that they sign him as a homegrown, having no idea where he's going to play. Like they don't know yet what position he's going to be. Like he just went and played in the Pan Am games and he started every game and played 90 minutes in every game at left back. With Dallas, they tried him as a center back for a while. He's gone out of North Texas and played center back and been great. They tried him as a six a bunch. They've tried him as an eight a bunch. They don't know what he's going to end up being, but they know he's really, really good. So they <laughs> they signed him and they're going to keep him. So. At this point in a kid's career, is that a bad thing though, Buzz? That you don't you yet no. have a sense of what his you know primary skill sets or his best position is? No, because. Uh, in Nolan's case, they felt like um, his physical maturity is not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he's, you know, 17, I don't know what he is, 17, 18. He's around that ballpark. Maybe he he's might be 19. Teen, Buzz. That's all, it, that's all that matters. Yeah. So between now and 22, you don't really know how he's going to fill out, how strong he's going to be, how tall he's actually going to end up. He's probably pretty close to as tall as he's going to be. Yeah. But, you know, you're just kind of waiting to see how he develops, how his game develops, how it alters over the. You know, you, you play in the midfield or not because he's a really we, exceptional passer. I mean, you remember Dan and I talking about at the beginning of the season, he was the best passing center back on the team. You know, he, he's a good enough passer that he's a good player in midfield. So you just kind of see where it goes. Nothing wrong with riding it and using him in various spots. Maybe he's a Ryan Hollingshead for you that can play like eight different spots over his career. You know, you, you'll we'll see. No reason not to keep him. He's a really great player. No objections there. Oh, no, my Dan. God, no. Yeah. No, I'm talking to Dan. Oh, to Dan. Dan no, no, no objections. No, none whatsoever. Um, okay. You know, and – one of the benefits of having a Spanish coach, right? That's kind of the Spanish development path is not knowing where a player's going to actually play until they, you know, pass into their twenties almost. Yeah. I should add that. No one's concerned about it. Like no one's over oh. there gnashing their teeth on, inside the club. Like, Oh my God, we don't know what to do with Nolan. It's right. like, no, no, they're playing them all over the place to see what happens. You know, next Mr. Farfan who has two more years on his current deal. Well, that's a keep, obviously, um, although there, there was some rumors lately that some people are interested in, in Belgium or something, but whatever. Um, the thing is, though, is that back-to-back seasons, they played him again, this massive minute load, and again, at the end of the season, we start to see cracks. And, and this year, this season, it happened in the playoffs instead of having with five games left. But they have What got was his to, injury that kept him out of the game? Yeah, uh, you know, he hurt his ego because Roldan baited him and tricked him <laughs> i don't know oh okay you know I, I they said he was hurt i have no idea what to how i can't refute that he was hurt but you know the problem was is that the performance lags a little bit at the very end of the season and it's not his fault it's the coach's fault for playing him too many damn minutes so once again they have to reduce this and it's ridiculous when you have sam junka who's 
very serviceable, very solid player. Just start him more and give Farfan some breaks. It doesn't have to be 30 games difference, just a little bit. Nico also said, uh, for, uh, da, 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 da. sorry, my, uh, I glitched. Um, little brother guy, Roldan, um, had that early success against uh, Farfan and just kind of figured him out. And, uh, you know, he struggled against Junker. So it was kind of, all right, we'll stick with Junker then, as well as the uh, fitness. Sebastian Ibiaga has one year left on his deal with two options after that, Buzz. Yeah, I'm going to keep with a caveat. That he's your backup next year, right? Well, you got to keep him anyway because you can't assume you're going to find another guy. I mean, you could fail that you're getting another center back and you might have to start him next year, as bad as that sounds. But even if you do find another center back, you definitely keep Ibiaga because you want three center backs that can compete like this year. You want Ibiaga to start 12 games and cut and play in 24 you know you want him to eat up minutes and you want him to eat up some starts he is a pretty solid guy he was by every measure he was better this year than i expected by a long shot and by for his career by a long shot too he had a great season but you know again 32 right he does take care of himself but you've got to have another center back come in you know even if you do don't have one come in, then you for sure keep him Seba. And if you are, even then you still want to keep him because you're, we've already gotten rid of Corsa. Nolan probably doesn't play center back anymore. You're down to two center backs, you know, so you definitely keep in Ibiaga for sure. Which, uh, Dan, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, keep him. Um, like I said, he had a, you know, solid year, formed a good partnership. Uh, it'd be great if he, you know, you can get a, uh, a better center back in to play alongside Tafaro. Um, but oh, you want to have a starter quality on your bench, right? Yeah, and I hope he learns to pass. Nikosi Tafari, they just got to just man up and give this kid a big old fat contract, Buzz. I mean, you would think. I mean, they, they just gave him a new contract like a year or two ago. But if you look at the numbers on the salary, it's ridiculously out of whack how little he gets paid compared to the guys. And he's by far the best defender on the team. Now, you don't want to give away money, but he deserves a much better contract than you have. Than he has, you know, and you want to keep the guy happy. If you, It's one thing to say, we have a dude under contract, therefore you're going to play. Well, if he's upset, he may not play that well. You got to keep him happy. So, you know, he deserves a little more money than he has. Uh, you know, with this being his last year coming up under normal contract, he does have two options. You know, it would be a good time, in my opinion, so far in this next season to extend that out, you know, lock him up a longer term and give him a much better offer. Well, the other part about Tafari that I think is, I don't think the club has done a very good job of tapping on it yet, is I think his off-the-field value is insanely high. There's so much promise in his ability to be a face of the club, voice of the club. He's a... I mean, he's a, I mean, stereotypical Gen Z athlete in the way that he presents. I mean, he's all into fashion, into this. I mean, he's got all of the elements, right? Yeah, and charismatic, so yeah. He's very charismatic in a very modern way. And I just, man, I hope they don't blow this and ruin it. Um, I hope they figure out a way to make that kid happy and keep him here and progress his talent both on and off the field. Dan? I think you move him a little bit closer to the captain's armband as well. Mm, that's a hot take. I love it. 
All right. Well, that wraps up the defenders in the game. Let's move over to the midfield segment of the team, uh, which there's such a few. I mean, for all those defenders, there's like half as many midfielders. It's crazy. And I think the most interesting one to t- well, let's actually we'll go we'll start uh, we'll start in a different order. Uh, Liam Frazier. Uh, let's just go there. Probably more value than we thought when we first saw him, but I have no idea where you land on keeping him or letting him go because he's on two option years, Buzz. Uh, I would keep him for sure. He's a, I really think he's mentally tough. I don't think there's much upside. I think he is what he is. Coach seems to think he has upside, but I disagree. I think he at 26, this is it. But there's something to be said for a good value domestic player now. He's Canadian because he was a homegrown. He counts as domestic. That's really important. There's, you need a dude who you can start and not be worried about it. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter. I'm saying that like you just need dudes that could eat up minutes, bring in a defensive intensity, maybe hit some dudes, You know, start when you need them to. That's a good, solid roster piece. Keep them all day. Uh, yep, exercise the option. All right, Quinone is up next, and I find this one to be fascinating because he disappeared. I'm still convinced there's way more to this story than, oh, well, the government said he had to come get his green card. That just doesn't make anywhere near enough sense to me, Uh, and maybe I'm just a conspiracy theorist, but I'm convinced there's more to this than we're being told, that he goes off and disappears at the most uh, important part of the season. Uh, and he's only on an option year. He's not even on a contract year. Yep. And uh, I, I don't know, I, where do you land on him at this point? Well, I would uh, decline the option um, and then think about perhaps, and I need to dive into a deep roster construction, but I would think about offering him a pittance, a backup number, you know, 250, 300, something like that. I don't think that he provides enough as a starter. I think his inability to progressively pass the ball and dribble out of midfield is a problem. That's part of the reason why Dallas's midfield is not as good as it should be. I think that his number is way too high. He's up near 900,000. That's Tam Gam money. That's a dominant player. That's Jao Paulo. <laughs> he ain't. So, right. you know, I, I think you have to decline the option. If you can't pick it up, you know, he got the green card that that gives him added value in terms of being a roster piece. But at this point, you know, in, at 30, he needs to just be a roster piece. If he wants to be a roster piece, okay, let's talk about it. But it's definitely dump for now, you know, and maybe even dump no matter what and just, you know what, have fun, go home and enjoy your family in Argentina or whatever. But, you know, I would I would consider a bottom roster filler feeder kind of role for him if he would be willing to take it, but he may not be willing to. Yeah, uh, decline the option, and I mean, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't say a pittance, but uh, you know, a below quarter of a million dollar deal um, or around that area. He doesn't qualify for free agency, so you have his MLS rights, um, even if it's uh, like a trade bait for someone that's just looking for an experienced midfielder. Um, the green card obviously does make you know, re-signing him far more attractive. But at the same time, Liam Fraser's just come off the back of a uh, few really good games and that suddenly can make him a little bit more expendable than uh, when he was keeping Edwin out of the team. I feel like if he went through the hassle of getting his green card, his intent is to stay in the United States and there may be some trade value and he could probably get a better deal with another club 
that feel like they could utilize him. So it won't surprise me to see them uh, decline his option yeah. and then ship him off somewhere else. Yeah, you can't pick it up. The money's too high. But like when you get into the end of season, as Dan says, he's not a free agent. So you got reentry drafts, things like that. If he clears that that stuff, you own his rights, blah, blah, blah. The green card makes him more attractive. So you're right. He, As much as anything, he does that to make himself attractive to stay here in the United States and play for other people, You know, whether it's MLS or something else. Mr. Ensebling is up next, and he's on two option years. Yeah, it's done. Thank you for your time. You were fun, but good luck to you. You know, when you're the bottom player on the roster and you only made the bench because they ran out of other people, when the coach loses face in you, when you're 25, going on 26 years old, that's and, you, and you're still an international, that's a bad place to be. It doesn't matter how cheap you are. So he's that's it for me. He's done dumped. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like last season he was a guy that we all were led to believe Nico really thought had something, and then it just never blossomed. Yeah, you know, there, there was a little run there where Coach had some confidence in him, and he and he does do some good things. He gets more assists than a lot of guys in the same role. But then there, he had that catastrophic game where he was directly responsible for two goals in the first 20 minutes or whatever it was, and he basically never played after that. It's like, you know, when you when you when you do stuff with the coach loses faith in you, particularly when you're in the bottom of the roster player who's really on there because the coach had faith in you, you're in trouble. And when you're not a kid anymore and you're 25, 26, that's it. You know, you go play, be have fun in the USL championship. Start there, enjoy your career. Still a great life. You know, it's just not gonna be here in Dallas. Yeah, right on with you. Uh, and like you say, turns twenty six before the season starts. So yeah. uh, you know, if if we talk about you know, coach speak and how they always talk about mental development is kind of around 24. Uh, even though he's only a couple of years into his career, technically he is, he's, he's one of the older players and there are, are just better options at, at center mid, younger options at center mid. And yeah, sorry. Thanks for your time. Um, good times are good, but this is a business. This would be much more entertaining if we disagreed <laughs> on any of these, but I have a feeling I mean, this yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, we, we had a mild, mild disagreement about the importance of uh, Facundo Quinon. Ever so slightly mild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Splitting hairs. Sebastian Legette oh. is next up. He's got two years left in a deal and a third option year in 26, and I think he'll be 47 by then. I would uh, entertain calls. My gosh, yes. Yeah, if you know, I it, it would be very, very difficult to move him um, because, and this is the thing, a lot of times people are like, just trade that guy. It's like, well, if you think a player sucks, so does everybody else. Right. So in like the contracts, it was, and by the way, in the second round, let's be very clear. The second round of the contracts information that came out, that number went down quite nicely. It went down to where it should have been 2022 Sebastian Lingette. Great. 2023 Sebastian Lingette, horrible. So I would entertain calls. I'm not going to say dump him, but I would definitely be willing to listen. Okay. Dan. Yeah. We've also got way up, uh, a guy that's in his 30s and, and coming off a season that had a few injuries. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, if he's available to be trade bait and someone wants to take the gamble and have a guy, I mean, he is he is a leader. He is a very skilled passer, a very skilled player, fairly, uh, fairly versatile. There is absolutely space for him in, in MLS rosters. It's just whether there is 
is whether FC Dallas is one of those. You look at his contract and realize he's in here for two more years, and you think, man, if we'd had 2022 Legette and 23, you'd feel really good about it. But yeah. since you got 23 yeah, Legette, those two years look awfully painful. Uh, if if 22 form comes back, he would start more than Paxton. Paxton would see the bench a yeah. lot. Which takes us to Paxton, who has a contract through uh, the year 3000, because he is a homegrown. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not moving Paxton, are we, Buzz? No. No, we're Good. not moving Paxton. You know, Paxton is still pretty youngish, you know, he, but, you know, he's getting close to being what he's being. The injuries are for sure a thing. He's got old man walk already. Um, you know, I, I, I love the kid, but, you know, they have to – they, I think you cannot start him every game. Like you need legit to come back and be decent because you cannot start Paxton 30 games. He can only play two out of three or something like that and avoid turf and stuff like that. When he's on, he's still a good player. He's still a really good player, but he's never going anywhere overseas for sure. At this point, you know, the only way he's going to move is if somebody gets a fire under him about him being like the answer. But is that, is that who's going to be that think he's that for them in MLS? You know, I, don't, I just don't see that happening. So, yeah, it's a keep for me, for sure, for him. Even more than Legetti is a keep for me. Keep, great leader. Um, you know, this was supposed to be the bounce back here after the two years after surgery. And, yeah, absolutely, towards the end of the year, put in some phenomenal performances. Uh, but, yeah, like on Wednesday, we kind of stood there and watched, uh, watched him kind of hobble over to a kid that wanted an autograph and it was, you know, walking with the knees never quite straight and the back's hunched over and it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to you're gonna yeah. hate your 30s. Yeah. Well, I love Paxton because he gets stuck in and he has the balls to wear that mustache out in public. And he it's wins cool. his 50s. Boy, does he. Um, and that takes us to the big question of the next season because I think this is... This is really critical to having any hope for 2024. It starts with them getting Alara Mendy to stick around for another full for a full season. And it's funny because I think it was today or yesterday he kind of posted on social media his thanking for the fans. <laughs> it was today, yeah. <laughs> and it didn't actually it, it kind of left a bit of vagary as to what his intentions are. Yeah, if you read it, um it doesn't we're hoping, of course, that there's like a loss in translation kind of bit here or whatever, because what he literally says in the tweet is we didn't get that best result, but I'm happy to have met this group of players and these fans. Thank you all for your support this season. So that sounds a little vague, a little like, oh, it's nice to have met y'all. See you later. Right. You know, so like all of us in the Discord, of course, are panicking now that maybe he's thinking, nah, too hot. Too much work, too much flight, travel, I'm out. So obviously, of course, 100%, pick up the option. I don't even care if it's a million, you pick it up. He's one of the classiest players we've ever seen here. Now, 34 games isn't going to happen. you got to manage the workload. Again, Paxton, Legette, these are all going to be important bodies in the midfield. Uh, Frazier, you know, like it's all going to be part of man management. But when he's on, he's as good as we've ever seen here. So please, please, please pick him up. So the question is, is the option both his and the club's? Could he say, I just don't want to do this anymore? He can retire. Okay. Yeah, a contract option for a player is incredibly rare these days. I can't remember the last time I saw one. Um, basically, if the team picks up your option, you're under contract, so you can just retire and walk away. And if you sit down 
and don't play for like six months and they and the contract is terminated, I think like after a certain amount of time you can unretire if you really want to be that kind of person. But 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 we could also see a a, a scenario where to talk him into doing this, they said, look, we're going to give you an option year next year, and you also have an option. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they could. Uh, I just don't. They didn't report it that way. It was reported as a team option, like they always all are. Hmm. So I, I assume it's a team option. I mean, it's basically it's a choice of whether he walks away or plays. You know, and obviously we hope that he plays. Well, this is really important in my mind, Buzz, because if he doesn't return next year, they do not oh, have an option as a replacement. And this becomes the Tiago Santos story all over again, where we go into a season. Maybe this time it would be happening earlier than it did to poor um, Lucci, yeah. uh, whatever year that was. But I, 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 for, I mean, 2024, in my mind, starts with whether or not you're successful yeah. in getting him to return. Everything else comes after that in my mind. Yeah, if he bails, you need to replace this player. Uh, you know, this 6-8 combo ability to control pace, pass, break lines, that, that player is missing if he's if Armani's not here. It, it has to become the number one priority in terms of your team building if he goes away. Even though he won't play 34 games, it's, you know, it's still going to be a massive, massive pinnacle of your team, and the whole thing's going to revolve around him being in the midfield. If he's not, you're in trouble. Yeah. Dan, were you on ER Mindy? Oh, he's, he's the, the key to everything. Uh, you 100% uh, do everything you can to, to make him stay, and, uh, you know, you, you would evaluate things halfway through next season and see if maybe there's a there's a little bit more to it um i will say as far as that message um for whatever reason i've always found that people from spain talk in past tense constantly so i wouldn't necessarily read too much into that Mm. he doesn't really speak english so there's also you know a little bit of uh google translate or um you know, potentially even he's he's potentially even ran it through somebody and said something in Basque to somebody that speaks <laughs> Castilian or speaks kind of like uh, you know a, any Latin American Spanish, and the words are, are are different. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it's a nothing, but it still made me think. Oh my god, if he were to say no and walk, that would be yeah, no, one hundred percent. That would be yeah. an absolute disaster. That would be. Uh, don't think about the playoffs next year at all. Yeah. All right. We're, uh, this is going longer than I anticipated, but that's, uh, we only have forwards left now. So Tariq Scott is the first forward buzz. Yeah. He's a keep, you know, we haven't even seen him at all at this level. Uh, I've talked to him a couple of times about how he feels and he's been training for a bit now. He feels great. So uh, he's been the best scoring player in the Academy for like the last three years, like across the whole top three levels since Pepe moved out of the Academy, basically. So, um, I'm excited for what might come from him, so keep. Okay. Dan? Yep, keep. Okay. Dante Seeley is one more year and then two option years. Dan, why don't you go first? Yeah. Uh, since you've got him for that, you've, you've got him locked up for that year, I think you uh, try and see if you can kind of pull, his, pull him around psychologically, mentally, and then, uh, you know, if an offer comes along, that's nice too. Um, but I don't think you're in any rush to extend that contract knowing that you have two option years. I just want them to keep him and let him play just enough to see if he ever successfully splits two defenders because he keeps trying that and failing at it, but uh, we'll see how if that plays out next season. I'm going to say try and trade him. 
I'm going to be a little more aggressive. I'm not going to say, you know, buy him out or cut him or anything, but I'm going to definitely Ooh, be a, a, aggressively try and trade him. Um, because mainly because there are other players I want to see come through from the Academy or, you know, whether it be Tark Scott, who's already signed as a homegrown, or whether it be some of the nice players that I think are coming up in the next year or two, I don't want Dante Seeley in the way for three years. I'd rather move that asset and try and get something for it now because he's already behind Camungo, right? You know, he's already going to be behind Paul. He's already going to be about Allen when he comes back, although Allen may be in the middle, you know. So it's I, I definitely would try to aggressively move mm-hmm. him. And I'm going to combo Endelay and Mulatto as a pair, uh, unless there's a reason to break them out separately. Uh, for me, Mulatto is a keep, um, even though I don't think he's ever going to be successful in Major League Soccer. I'm, I would try and eventually sell him, but not yet. Um, and then for me, Endelay is a dump. You know, you just let that guy's option expire. He can go play in the championship. Okay. Dan, anything? Uh, yeah, wishing them both well in their future endeavors and trying to figure out a way to sell Mulatto. Camungo, Bernie, the story of the season? Contract for life. Yeah, Contra. I just read the other day that he was a refugee, apparently. Oh. So that's a very exciting story. I Hopefully people will cover that and give us a due diligence. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he's a keep forever. Yeah. I mean, it won't be forever. He'll be going to Europe eventually, but I, I love him. The only additional uh, element to his story that I learned this week that I found great of high entertainment was uh, 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 Boheim's story on Bernie, where he included that the... The made-up ball also included materials like condoms, mm-hmm. not just plastic bags and paper, but condoms. You know, but a rubber gives it a bounce. Yeah, I'm thinking that's actually genius. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Boheim interviewed some great people for that story. Yeah, quality local sources. Good stuff. All right, we all agree yeah. on Mr. me, by the way, Mr. Kim- yes, of course. <laughs> you, you know, we we noticed Buzz. Don't okay, we, we all <laughs> noticed. Now I think this takes us to one of the more interesting conversations. I don't want to get. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but it is the Obreon versus Ansa conversation, Buzz, because they're mm. kind of the same player. Uh, y- you know. Yeah. And there's really probably only one spot. Yeah. Think about it in pure roster terms. Okay. I'm going to describe a player to you and I want you to tell me who it is. 28 years old, forward or wing, relatively vertical, uses an international spot, occasionally gets the ball stuck under his feet, but also is a good dude in the locker room. Everybody likes him and does Michael Barrios. Who did I just describe? Ted Eck. Barrios isn't 28. Now on the team right now, which player is that? Oh, also get paid $400,000. Which player is that? Well, I'm sure you're going to tell me it's Ansa. No, it's both. Oh. That's both of those guys. So they're the same player in every one of those ways. One of them is under contract and one of them is an option. Both of them block the way of people like Bernie or Scott or Seely. There's no reason to keep both of those players. One of them is slightly smarter soccer player than the other. The other one might be slightly faster than the other. But one actually but, produced this season and the other one did squat. It, it doesn't matter. Neither one of them should be starting. They're only going to be a backup. They're only going to be a roster piece. They're the same player and they're in the way. And international spots are mega valuable. Yeah. So there's no reason to keep both of them. You only need one of them. One is under contract and one is not. It's not, it's not like I think one is better than the other. It's simply the thing, thing that they're the same player. So you answers here and O'Brien's not. It's easy. Yeah, but I'd rather keep Cowbell versus Traffic Cone. I'd rather keep Ansa just because he just now got here. 
And there is that delay that happens and coach keeps raving about him. Okay. And O'Brien, we know what O'Brien is. O'Brien is O'Brien. He's not going to He's like, you're, it's not, it's, he's been here forever. I mean, likable guy, mm-hmm. but like does keeping O'Brien make you any better next year. Well, I don't think keeping Ansa makes you any better next year. Uh, but either. you don't have a choice on Ansa. He's under contract. Yeah. Oh, no, I get it. Maybe you could yeah. trade them both and actually do a job and find somebody else to help bol- bolster depth on this team, especially well, again, a wing. If you think a player sucks, who's going to give you anything for them? I know. Everyone wants to trade a bunch of spares for for the greatest player in the world. Right. Well, it's we can't like, use know, our but we can't they can't use their buyout because they're going to have to nope. save that for the next player yeah. up on the list, which is <laughs> Uh, mortal enemy number one right now. The uh, well, let's hear Dan on Ansa oh, and O'Brien. I'm sorry, O'Brien. Um, Dan, you know if if the contract situation was equal, I would rather keep O'Brien. But like you say, it, it's an option versus a, a tied down contract and a player that probably no one's coming in to trade for. Yep. Mm, okay. Well, everybody's got the stink eye out for this next one, which is Jesus Jimenez. And I'm just assuming at this point, because of his contract situation, uh, Buzz, they're just they're going to be forced to buy it out because he's got a year left yeah. and an option year and just give him a stack of cash and say, go back to where you came oh, from. Oh, you don't even miss it. Yeah, you have to buy it out. Yeah. Well, l- let me add one tiny little caveat, caveat to this. Shit. The only place I've ever found his – no, this is actually not bad. Oh. The only place I've ever found his contract information is like Googling it and finding like old reports from like a couple of years ago. So I'm not a thousand percent sure he's under contract. I'm only 99.9% sure he's under contract. So I'm giving you a 0.01% so chance. You say there's a out. chance. Yes. I say there's a chance. <laughs> but yes, the, the, the trick is, is that it's not just that he was not anywhere near worth the money, zero goals on, you know, 1.2 million or whatever it is. The problem is, is that Toronto paid his cap hit this year and next year they're not. So it's, it's his whole salary will come onto your cap and handcuff you a DP number. Cause you're, you, you'd have to make him a DP or buy him down. So it's, it's doubly cost prohibitive that he hits your cap. So there's just no way it's like, you cannot keep him. You have to buy him out or you've just, you're coming back with exactly the same roster you have now. You won't be able to afford to add anybody if you don't keep, if you keep him. Well, I hope they find him a million dollars for pulling out of that tackle. Yeah. <laughs> they can't do that. Dan, anything to add on to the minutes? No, nothing positive. I mean, here, I mean, just think about this. In the long line of absolute failures of number nines in this club in the last 10 years, you think about Coleman, you think about Cobra, you think about Hara, and you think about who is the Brazilian with the. Oh, Jetterson? Jetterson. Jimenez arguably may be the worst of a lot of them somehow. Well, I mean, this thing, Hara did a lot right, wasn't scoring. Uh, Coleman did a lot right, wasn't scoring. Cobra did a good bit right, had a knack for scoring. David Tessera, fantastic player, just for whatever reason it didn't work for him. What was Jimenez done? Like, I mean, Jetson, the joke was that he never played. I, I don't... I, you know, I, he had that one, I think he had that one assist. Did, did Jetterson even cost half of what Jimenez did? I don't think he cost anything. Yeah. I, I I don't think Jimenez ever did anything all season. I'm not even sure I remember him making a good pass, Buzz. Well, when when he first, in the early in the season, there were a couple of games where they played him and Jesus Ferrer together, and it's two striker system. 
and his movement was a good enough and his positioning was good enough that he created uh, enough attention that Jesus got mm. space and was able to do just a couple of good things. It was like a two game run where that happened. Then he got, um, but then he got hurt and then we haven't seen it since then. And, you know, he's provided no value anywhere. There was even some games recently where he had to play uh, in the, the average model. It looks like he's playing Carlos Valderrama and standing in the center circle. And like, he's like, he's a, like, he's a six because the whole shape is moving around him and he's not running up and down the field. Yeah, He's stealing money. So, All right. Yeah. It's good. You know, it's, at this point, it's, it's obvious what has to happen. And, and the only problem is if, are the hunts going to buy out another contract or not? Cause remember they did it last year with, the, the dude they got from uh, can Orlando. they take um, that 1.2 million and build a trebuchet big enough to send him all the way back to spain <laughs> <laughs> no that's a long throw he would only miss the target anyway yeah all right paul Ariola is on the same deal the jet is on keep he's captain you know maybe check with the galaxy again see what they want to do but I- i'd keep him you know, he's still young. He's only 28. So it's, you know, he's plenty of time for him to be good for a few more years. You know, he just needs to figure out what happened this year. And I think it's all the off-field stuff, to be honest with you. Also, a couple injuries, but mainly it's all the off-field stuff. He had all that chaos in his life. I think he'll get it dialed in. I think he'll be fine. Okay. Dan? Yeah. Got, got married, kid on the way. It's kind of the the, the nightmare season, right? I mean, yeah. it, the, the thing I liked about it is he had, he had a bounce back. He... Came back from the injury. He had a, you know, he had a, a great performance against uh, Seattle in the home game. Yes, the first game, absolute dog shit. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone's gonna doubt that. But just the fact that he he had the response and and led that response on the field. I think yeah. that that's that's massive. That's what uh, this younger team needs. Let's talk about how trash that Seattle game was. Ariola in that game, game three, he still had three for five on take-ons, six progressive passes, one key pass, four passes into the penalty box, and three carries into the final third. So despite the fact the game was utter trash for Dallas, he still was out there by himself, basically, trying to do stuff and make things happen. So the guy works, and he's a great captain, a great leader. I think he'll find it again. I, I'm not super worried about him. Staying healthy is the key. you got to stay healthy and be r- right next year, and you'll be fine. You're really holding on to those stats. I know it was in the breakdown and <laughs> we didn't get to talk about it earlier. I just wanted to prove a point that like, even in a terrible game, some guys keep playing and they're out there. Even if they're by themselves, they keep trying and keep working, you know? And so I wanted to give him a little credit for that. We have two left, obviously assuming he comes back from Argentina. Cause that's where he went to go get the unfortunately referred to as a snip snip by somebody yeah. on this podcast, uh, Alan Velasco. He didn't yeah. get a vasectomy for <laughs> good Lord. Uh, under the knife. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you could have said that you didn't have to say the snip snip. Oh, it's trying to be funny. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, he's in fine. We just, I mean, they're not going to see him until probably September, but whatever. Dan, go first on uh, go first now. Yeah, um, you know, hopefully he recovers from his boob job really quickly. And, um, you know, it's going to be like Paxton, right? It's going to be well, a little bit less like Paxton. You you discount that second season as kind of finding himself. Um, but, you know, he, he is a high-quality player. You want him to recover. You want him to, to bounce back well and then get back on track with that plan of selling him for more than double what you paid for him. Okay. You want to hear mine? Yeah, please. Dump. 
sell him now? Well, let me explain. He's going to be out until at least August. Yeah. And if he comes back, it'll be at like 80% in maybe September. Okay. Here's the thing. You can have one injured reserve out for the season per season in MLS. So dump him to the injured reserve, put him out for the season, even though he could come back in August, put him out for the season, clear the DP spot for a season, worry about solving that problem next year, open up the DP spot, open up an international spot, open up the salary cap and open up the budget. So dump for one season to the injured reserve. And it means he can't come back. Like he'll be out for the year, no matter what, if you do it, but do it because if you don't do it, you're playing with a handicap next year. So you loan him to like a team in Argentina for his comeback. Well, you know, yeah, you, you could loan him out. You could let him play for North Texas a couple of times to get the speed underneath him. You can loan him back home, let him go for Independiente for 10 games at the back of the season, whatever you need to do. Don't sacrifice 2024 just because you're keeping Allen on your books long-term. See what I'm saying? No, so, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. along with the Alaramendi uh, uh, story, this Velasco thing is a huge problem for this club because big, big. Yep. Uh, he's a he's chewing up a ton of contract money. He won't be a hundred percent when he comes back, uh, and I just you know yeah, you're the problem is is that the owner has to then say okay, I'm going to pay a guy who gets paid a lot of money to not play for a whole year, and you have to make him understand that it doesn't mean we don't love you, that we're putting you in unable to play for an entire season. You know, that that's a young kid. He may struggle with that emotionally, but it's important to not sacrifice next season. DPs are way, way too important in this league. You already had Paul Ariola being a DP when well, maybe he shouldn't be, you know, for in terms of impact. So you can't have two DPs not being impactful. And maybe that's you need important. to uh, have a chat with uh, Andre about that one. Well, I, hopefully they thought of that. Okay, moving on. All right, well, that takes us to the <laughs> final one, and he's on two more years, and coming. I'm going to assume he's going to have some sort of uh, surgery in the offseason for an abdominal uh, hernia or Me whatever too, yeah. it is, yeah. uh, and I'm sure that'll be fine. But uh, Jesus, I don't know where everybody sits on this. Anybody got a hot sports opinion on whether he stays or goes or gets sold? Oh, well, the, the, I would keep him, obviously, but the – there's always a potential that he could get sold, but I think that the back half of this season will have reduced what anyone would offer him. And so even though what someone might offer him is a lot of money, it's not going to be anywhere near what the hunts value him at in terms of their willingness to sell him. So he's going to be here next year and he sh they should keep him, you know, over the years as his contract starts to wind down the, the, the amount that you'll have to pay to get him, will become less because of that time frame, unless he continues to play amazing soccer, particularly if he does it for the United States, and then the price will go up. So he'll be here next year. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's got to get fit first. No one's buying a player off the back of a surgery before they've uh, even come back. They, they they wouldn't get through a medical. Um, so, yeah, he'll he'll be here, and like you like say, they've got to recoup some of the uh, – potential loss value on that kind of cold uh, second half of the season. All right. Well, that's the entirety of the roster. And I'm sure in an upcoming episode, we'll get into kind of like ro roster construction for 2024. Thomas Roberts. But here's the thing. There's one more thing dangling out there that we haven't discussed yet. And I'm regretting the fact that this is coming at the end of the pod because I'm worried that a lot of people have stopped listening at this point. 
Um, no, we haven't done Kit Talk. Uh, because I think this is an equally interesting question. This comes from Mr. Bogart. Maybe we want to save this for next episode since we've already gone well over an hour. Is the fact that we are learning that both Nico and his staff, much like Oscar Perea and his staff that we've been talking about for a while, are out of contract for the 2024 season. And I think that poses all kinds of crazy ass questions, Buzz. I don't think it does. Um, we've talked, I've talked a lot about how, you know, even like a month or two ago, Dan Hunt was raving about both of these guys to me and they talk about how we got our guys. We're good. You know, with this, that, and the other, and, and their minimum standards make the playoffs, which you did. They'll be able to look at the injuries and know that was the problem and all that kind of stuff. I think they'll make some adjustments to how they do things, but I think both these players will be here. Both these coaches will be here and TD will be here. You know, I've had, Oh, that's right. Zanata, by the way, is also out of contract. That's the other one I didn't mention, according to Tom Bogart. Well, you know, given that Zanata is out of contract, it's not a surprise that the coach has a contract that matches that. And if you look at the roster, you can see that there's a group of players that matches that same window. You know, but I've I've had multiple conversations with both these guys, and they're moving forward and they uh, with plans as if they're going to be here. They're making decisions. They're making plans. They're making moves. They're out there doing things after, as if they're going to be here. Neither one of these guys has done something. You know, people, fans may not like what they do, but the tr- the point I, I always try to make is put yourself in Dan Hunt's shoes or Clark Hunt's shoes, right? They brought Zanata in to make money. His reputation for buying, selling players. Bogart talked about this today too. He's doing what they want him to do, right? Nico was brought here to make the playoffs and fix the defense. He's done both of those things. You know, I, I think they've those guys have met the standards for which their job was outlined for them. So I think they'll both be here next year. That's my fast answer. Can I be the grand conspiracy theorist? Yeah, knock it out. Is there any way we live in a world where they don't get re-signed because they're going to announce the return of Oscar Perea and crew? No, because you can't talk to Oscar yet because the Orlando's still in the playoffs. So you you even even if Clark wants to bring Oscar back, he can't even call him until after the line was eliminated. So they wouldn't have that so, in their pocket. Okay. You'd have to sit you'd have to sit around and wait. I'm not saying that they won't do this because the contracts don't run out to the end of the year. So you have time. You know, you certainly could do that. Okay. Yeah. You just don't think it's likely. I just don't think it's likely. I think it's possible. I just don't think it's likely. Yeah, I, I don't think Oscar wants to come back here. I think if Oscar's going to leave Orlando, it's because he it, the lifted skirt of an owner that yeah. really is going to spend money or the San Diego opportunity is just too great. Uh, you know, I, I know Oscar loves this place, and I think he wants to come back here someday. When he left, he and I had conversations about when he would come back. He told me that, be. too. Yeah, so like, I think, I think when he's ready to not be a coach, when he's ready to be like a head of – a, a club, you know, then, then, yeah, then he'll be like, I'd love to come back to Dallas and spend the rest of my career there. And I think that'll probably be very, very likely. I just don't think it's there yet. I'm with you. If he's going to leave Orlando, then he'll leave there for a place in MLS where they have money instead of Orlando. Cause Orlando's fine. If you, if, if you just want something like Orlando, but if, but if LA calls or, um, San Diego calls or somebody like that, New York. New York city, either one of the New York city teams for that matter, somebody that has some Atlanta, if that job's open for some reason, you know, th- there's some clubs that he would leave for. And then th- most of them, he would not. So I think he'll either stay there. Or he'll jump to one of the big money clubs. He'll come back to Dallas someday and be the technical director or the head of soccer or something when he's, you know, another 10 years from now or something. Okay. 
Well, I think we've done it. I think we've run through the whole gambit of, of potential. And I, and I said, we'll do roster construction uh, soon, right? Yeah, there was some minor news, but we can just hold it for the next one. Nothing was earth shattering. And, and, you know, once we get this week, we'll actually get the um, because they're doing exit interviews this week. So end of this week, early next week, we'll probably get a press release announcing the contract moves. And then we can very specifically say, here's exactly what we have. and Here's what we don't have. and Here's where the holes are. I'm doing my um, rebuild plan probably tomorrow, uh, tomorrow being Thursday, like later in the day, because this podcast will drop in the morning Thursday for everybody. Um, you know, we'll start to get into all that talk over the next week or two as we see exactly what we have to work with. December 1st is the deadline for the actual contract executions um, in, in terms of it being announced. So worst case scenario, it might be two weeks before we hear that stuff, but I'm pretty sure we'll hear next week since they're doing their exit interviews now and they're not training. So like guys are going to be leaving town, you know, they'll, they'll want everybody to know before they leave. And so there's no reason not to announce it. Yes. And you did mention the news. Obviously we talked about Alan having surgery down in Argentina, but uh, Dan, go ahead, because I do think the, the thing about the, the national championships is important. We need to get to that. Oh, uh, Brookhaven and Richland College winning the NJCAA Division Three National Championships again for the 50 bills. Brookhaven's a women's each. team and Richland's the men's team, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richland is six in a row and 12 overall, and Brookhaven is three in a row and five overall. And they're all within the last, you know, uh, decade and a half for both of those groups. Both have really nice coaching staffs, you know. It's also reflective of just the talent pool in the North Texas oh, area. Yeah, uh, um, Richland's coach Ralph Herrera is one is FC Dallas's academy coach. I think he's the top FC Dallas academy coach. You know, lots of guys are double dipping out there in the world these days, but he's obviously putting together a great program. Anytime you look over there, there's a couple of guys from FC Dallas on his team, and dudes from that program will go on to like Syracuse's national championship winning team. Their captain played at Richland. You know, the guys go from all levels from that school. That's a great program. And I will officially announce here on the podcast that no, my there's always next year since 1996 FC Dallas t-shirts are not for sale oh. because I do not need a Clark Hunt cease and desist <laughs> letter at my doorstep. I don't need a I don't need a, a Hunt goon at my doorstep uh, cracking bad on me. As much as I would love to make and sell those yeah. shirts, uh, I think... Don't think that's a good idea, but you could put the, misspell the FC Dallas like you did, and put there's always next year. Ah, uh, maybe, yeah, thing. yeah, or maybe <laughs> maybe flip the badge up a little bit. Maybe put the yeah. burn horse instead of the uh, Longhorn cow in there, and something, something yeah. like that. Maybe that yeah. that'll do it. And spell yeah. it F. Yeah, <laughs> spell it with the two A's and the one last, L. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, boys, yeah. as they yeah. say, or as we always say here, there's always next year. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And one thing you forgot, uh, U.S. Open Cup action this Saturday for OSC at Prince of Peace uh, High School in Carrollton. Um, on Saturday, 7 p.m., they're playing Alamo City SC. Uh, if they win that, they're in the first round oh. for 2024. All right. Good luck to those fellas. And I love your new microphone, sir. Thank, thank you. It is nice. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by SoccerNight.com. Shop all the latest arrivals, cleats, shin guards, gloves, jerseys, jackets, hoodies. They got stuff for the fall. They got stuff for your next soccer season. 
Third Degree listeners, of course, get 20% off with the code Third Degree at checkout. Soccer90.com. Some exclusions do apply. And thank you, Buzz, for another successful season of covering this club, however many billions of years you've been doing it now, sir. Yeah, this is the start of season 27 and season six of the podcast, which is amazing. And thank you, Peter, for being here and hosting it all. I love doing it, man. It's a good time. And I uh, love talking to the curious each and every week. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious, for sticking with us all season. We'll do our best to entertain you and keep you informed over the course of the off months. Uh, and we will be back next week, right, Buzz? Oh, yeah. Okay. Next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. It's your Simonas 2024 MVP. <laughs> Good Lord, no. I almost hurt myself. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast.